Welcome to the Rodeo Adventure Labs podcast. This is your host, Nick, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Fitzgerald of Rodeo Labs. Uh, And today we want to talk to Sam Martin, uh, who has an impressive uh, background, but also I want to say that in some ways we don't know anything about him, so we're really excited to talk to uh, him today and and get to know a little bit more. But uh, I guess a brief intro would be that he is a commercial photographer, and he's worked with uh, numerous brands, uh, including, uh, I don't know, I don't want to read them all off, but uh, Stetson, Airbnb, Filson, um, just to name a few. Uh, and his photography certainly drew me in um, as he was tackling the Tour Divide, which, spoiler, is really why we want to talk to him today, is uh, he took a, a trail donkey on the Tour Divide. And I know that Stephen... Uh, we'll get into it a little bit later, but wasn't even sure, can can the trail donkey even take on that type of rugged course? So we were just really interested to see how it goes, talk to Sam a little bit about that. Um, and then jumping around a little bit as well, uh, Sam, in 2018, uh, through hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. So uh, definitely an interesting combi- uh, combination of, of storytelling, photography, riding bikes or just getting really out into the backcountry. I think that jives with a lot of what excites me personally, as, as well as Steven. Um, I think we, <laughs> we have that, those three combinations of things in common. So we just really wanted to sit down and, and talk to Sam today and, and get to know him a little bit more, uh, and, and see how the tour divide went. Yeah. And what we don't have in common is I still do not have, uh, the confidence that I could ever personally do the tour divide, the more I learn about it. So whenever I run into somebody who just like goes and does it, I'm kind of even more and more in awe to be out there for that long on a bike, sort of by yourself. I just blows my mind and I do stupid things one day at a time, but to string, what is it? 25 centuries or 30 centuries together in a row back to back for, you know, better part of a month is like a whole other level of living that i don't i don't know it's pretty awesome yeah yeah it's impressive to to say the least so sam welcome thanks for joining us today thanks for having me guys yeah great to talk um and this is this is uh not a rerun in the sense that we talked to jay peterberry a couple weeks ago after he finished his tour divide which he uh did and i guess air quotes one because we talked about whether or not you even win the tour divide, uh, but he did finish faster than anyone else. But he did it on a flanimal. Um, Sam actually intended to do it on a flanimal. I guess we'll get to that. Uh, but then circumstances dictated that he ended up on a donkey. So they're both uh, did it very differently uh, and for different reasons and at different speeds and on different bikes. Uh, so they're yeah, two, two, two very different independent stories to talk about. Uh, and uh, look at them from, I guess, a different perspective. The, the bike racer and the person who's riding a bike for other motivations. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I think, uh, Sam, when, when I reached out to you, I, I, I prefaced it as um, the way you approached the Tour Divide was almost through your photography, like writing a love letter to bikepacking itself. 
Um, you yeah. know, you weren't going out there to to necessarily get the fastest time. I, I, I'm actually curious, like, what were your motivations behind doing it? Because from the photography, it was like, I want to find these little details and and mm-hmm. kind of show them to the world of like, this is, this is the different perspective you could have just really getting to know a place. No, absolutely. You know, honestly, for me, I'm brand new to backpacking or excuse me, bikepacking. So it, it really was sort of that brand new experience. And I was seeing things through sort of that, that fresh new perspective every, every day. Um, because it actually was my first bikepacking trip ever. Um, like we were talking about, uh, circumstances sort of dictated that the bike I was riding arrived pretty late. And, um, I just kind of threw all the bags I had on, went on a weekend trip, um, just like a day, a day ride, and then threw it in a box and and flew to Montana basically. Um, so yeah, my photography, honestly, I feel like I shoot a lot of commercial work and a lot of product work, you know, for brands, for, you know, campaigns. And when I get the opportunity to, to shoot for myself and shoot, you know, without sort of an expectation of whatever it is, a campaign, a, a, a set story, um, it's just, it's just so much fun, you know, to, to not have really any restriction on what I can shoot, how I can shoot it, um, the story I want to tell. Um, so this trip was, was that for me, just a, a, a quote unquote vacation where, you know, the photos I took were, um, what I, what I wanted to take. And, um, like I said, having that, that fresh perspective of never having bike packed before I was seeing things completely, you know, differently from what I, I backpack. Um, the speeds are obviously very different. Like the, the way you're moving through a landscape is completely different. So it was a, it was a great time just for me as a photographer to like have that, that brand new experience again. Um, cause it did, it did bring me back to sort of that roots of like why I got into photography. Um, and yeah, I love that. So you, you, you've done the Pacific crest trail through hike from Canada to Mexico, uh, previously, uh, I'm mm-hmm. guessing solo. That was solo. Yeah. It's kind of hard to find friends to, uh, you know, sign on for like a three month, four month, uh, trip. But, you know, I went into that, that hike knowing that there's there's other folks out there you know all these trails all whether it's bike packing um backpacking you know canoeing whatever you, uh there's other folks out there that that you're gonna find and, and hike with um so on that trip yeah i went solo and oddly enough like immediately fell in with you know first day with a bunch of people who just were a great group um and i ended up hiking the first 900 miles with with two of them um and then at that point sort of went off on my own for about 1100 miles and then you know finished like the last 650 with a couple folks so i felt like on that trip had a really good balance of you know getting that community piece of the trail but then also having that that solo experience where you're just doing your own thing cool totally different speed i mean when you talk about oh yeah covering 900 miles on foot i don't even know how long that takes but um like a month yeah. and a half <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, 
Did you did you come away when you when you did the Pacific Crest Trail on foot? Did you come away? Uh, how long ago was that? So that was 2018. Um, okay, the summer. So was contrasting part of this? Uh, it's sort of like what's it like on a bike? What's it like on foot? Or was it like new route, new new mode of transportation? Like what pushed you? Because you're not not I don't think uh, a lifetime cyclist. You haven't spent a, you know a decade or two sort of, you know, upping mm-hmm. your own ante on yourself. You, you came out of nowhere and said, like, in February, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to do the Pacific Crest, or I'm sorry, the Tour Divide on a bike. Yep. Uh, how'd you get to that from the last experience? Yeah, so I came off the trail in, in obviously fall of 18, and, you know, it's a pretty cha- life-changing experience, obviously. You're spending three months out in the wilderness and really removed from the day-to-day, you know, chaos that is the world. Um, so I came off and, you know, was, I got back into running, got back into doing some smaller hikes, but just felt a little disconnected from what I was doing before the trail. Um, so then in sort of late summer, fall of 2019, a year after or so, I don't even know how I got into it, but somehow I, I ended up buying like a, a pretty cheap mountain bike and just, started riding like a madman like you know every day um and i'm i'm lucky that the city i'm in charlotte north carolina we have some really great mountain biking trails a lot of cross-country style so you know just really dove headfirst into that into that world um so i've yeah i've only been riding really for two-ish years maybe a little longer um and then i i saw the opportunity to, or I learned rather about, about bike packing through a couple friends who were also through hikers and had gone on to do, you know, some Southeast Asia tours and some other bike packing stuff. So when I got into biking, I sort of saw that opportunity. Um, and one day, yeah, I was just exploring bikepacker.com looking for some local routes here in North Carolina. And I think on their homepage, they had the, the, the great divide route, and I was like, oh, interesting, you know, so I click <laughs> in and the photos, of course, are, are just gorgeous and, you know, paints it in this amazing picture. Um, Everything happens at sunset. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Golden hour all the way across the country. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I saw that it, it it visited the corridor of the Continental Divide, which is a really interesting corridor to me because ever since finishing the PCT, I've, I've thought about hiking the, the Continental Divide Trail, the CDT which, uh, you know, basically follows the same corridor as the, the Great Divide Trail. But that's another, you know, three, three and a half month, four month trip. Um, so I, I knew that would be sort of hard to swing again, just in the, the season of life I'm in. So when I learned or rather saw this, this Great Divide Trail, I was like, oh, I could, I could ride a bike, you know, see basically the same corridor in a third of the time, a fourth of the time. Um, so I sort of mold that over, um, for about a month. I think I, I think I stumbled across that, that article end of December, beginning of January, 2020, yeah, 2020 into 2021. And, um, I think in February of this year, I just sort of pulled the trigger in my mind and was like, you know what, we're going to, we're going to do it, you know, mark the calendar off, um, time to, to buy a bike, 
find some gear and and make it happen um and then we made it happen did you have uh i know i have had any post 2020 wanderlust where you're just like you have this year Mm -hmm. of you can't do as much and then we come into this year of all right i'm gonna do something this year Um, definitely no i think that was a big part of it um because i i actually had considered doing the cdt in 2020 and then obviously that sort of fell apart um so yeah i think i always i think ever since hiking the trail the the pct you know every sort of winter you start you just start daydreaming about the next summer you know um and you think about all the possibilities oh oh i could do the arizona trail in the spring or um you know, do a section here of the, the AT. Um, so that's, that's just a constant I've experienced since the PCT. Um, so I think that was definitely a part of it. Um, uh, but yeah, it just felt like the right time to, you know, invest in another trip like this. Cause it, that's what it is in my opinion. It's a, it's an investment of, of time and resources and, um, just a piece of yourself. I, I think something that's really interesting to me, kind of almost like jumping to the end, because um, obviously we'll talk through the, the Tour Divide experience, but contrasting, you know, the PCT that just takes so much longer versus something that is highly condensed relatively mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. doing the Tour Divide, like not like to say like, oh, like let's distill that experience like and, and kind of can it into something, but like how do how do they compare because that's a really unique achievement to you know to have done both and have that experience of both like would you say they are comparable because they Mm -hmm. you know they cover the same distance or just like how do you like compare and contrast those types of experiences yeah it's a great i've I've tried to think about that because there is so many similarities you know in mindset in just the physical you know stresses um but then they're also just vastly different exercises. Um, the The best way I can describe it is the PCT is really just a it's a game of attrition. You know, it's it's this constant losing battle of calories, of sleep, of energy, and mm-hmm. you know, just it beats you up by the end um, because it's so long. And I I hiked it faster than your average hiker. Um, so I hiked it in 99 days, um, which, you know, and that, that is a marathon a day. You're, you're, it's just a constant, you know, movement North. Um, and yeah, it, it beats you up, you know, um, it's just day after day, but on the bike, you, you still have that, you still get that, that great, you know, wariness, uh, along the <laughs> way. It's just a different, a different level of it. Um, you know, you can't, you can't roll the downhills when you're just hiking. Um, mm. so those are almost bonus miles on a bike. There's no coasting. Yeah. No coasting. <laughs> you got to earn the downs. Um, and then, you know, the, the PCT was much more of a wilderness experience. Um, you know, you're, I think, and it comes down to the speed as well, because like, you know, on a bike, a hundred miles between towns is a day, day and a half for most folks. And on trail, 100 miles between towns, you know, when you're moving three miles an hour is, you know, three days, four days for most folks. So there's definitely more time to breathe between like your your douses of just civilization. Um, whereas on trail, you never 
or we're on the on the bike ride you never quite feel as sort of separated from society or separated from like the normal life um but i did appreciate the similarities physically between the two because i think that's what i look for in these in these long trips is like that physical test um i just i love that all day effort of you know short breaks just a constant sort of all day pace whether it's on foot or on the bike um and that that certainly you know i i experienced both of that on on these trails yeah there's definitely something like the there's the beauty and the simplicity of it of mm-hmm. like all you have to do is just keep moving forward there's oh, absolutely you know there's no uh infinite number of distractions or continuously looking at a cell phone or you know picking up the phone and calling someone or um it's just yeah and so i i think that's really fascinating because for the through hike that's probably magnified by the more mm-hmm. remoteness of passing through towns you're even more disconnected and so in maybe some ways there's i don't know I, I could hypothesize there's more of like a that mental challenge of like yeah i'm out here for longer yeah it's more remote yeah i don't get my daily dose of of society so to speak no it is like yeah you, definitely the trail okay. um you know when it's four days five days between towns like yeah you are out there you're carrying that amount of food um there's no chocolate milk at the end of the night sort of thing. <laughs> you know, there's no burgers every, every lunch. Um, so it is, you definitely do feel more removed. Um, and you do experience that. Um, I call it almost the silence of the world where, you know, you don't even, I didn't even before the trail think about it, but, but just the, the noise we carry in our lives of like, Oh, I have to go to the dentist next week or, you know, don't forget to pay the credit card bill and um the oil change is coming up watch the mileage just these small things that are always in the back of your mind that you don't even recognize or register um but out there when you don't have them and the only the only thing that's sort of registered is like i should probably eat you know (laughs) in like 20 minutes and oh my water's getting a little low so i should probably stop and filter um it's it is a wild experience not to have that constant sort of like noise in the background um and it's not even that you have these wildly profound thoughts because of it but um just the the effort of removing them just frees up you know your thoughts and your your processes um and it changes your habits you know you sort of realize that you don't need to pick up your phone you know when you sit down um you can kind of just look around but yeah, that that thing you mentioned about that solo or you know singular focus of I'm going to get up today, I'm going to I'm going to walk north or I'm going to get up today, I'm going to ride south and I'm not going to turn around, I'm not going to you know to go this way that way. Um that's like a a really fun thing to experience where it's just that singular sort of effort towards something. Um, cuz you rarely experience that in life. You sound um, like kind of not in a bad way, like very cool and confident about it. Um, I when so we're getting ready to go back to Morocco for this bike packing race. And yeah, there's a few people in in the crew that haven't done it before, and there is a tremendous amount of it's really kind of fun, but also hand wringing about every little detail of everything. Mm-hmm. And 
and you know, and that's 750 miles. That isn't even a, it's like a small fraction of the divide, of the divide route. Um, but it, it kind of seemed like you, everything I'm picking up was calm about how you approached it. Um, is, did you come into it with a lot of confidence or if so, did that come from the fact that you had already done another really super massive adventure, uh, mm. you know, a related adventure or, 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 you know, do you have the willies, uh, and are you, you know, reading every gear list you can find and cross-referencing? Like, how do you yeah. get ready for this? Especially when you decide in, you know, February, you know, April, May, June, you know, sorry, you got like four or five months to get ready for this thing. Um, yeah. how'd you go into it? Um, which, Side note, the Atlas, that sounds like a lot of fun. I may have to <laughs> look into that. Um, but no, I think I. It's, it's funny you bring that up because some other people have mentioned it. I, I'm typically a pretty like optimistic person in life. I don't think I... I mean, I consider what can go wrong and I, and I try to plan for that or at least have you know some sort of mitigation in place. But... Yeah, like when I approach these these long trails, especially, and we'll talk about the divide, I guess specifically. Um, I think it's it it definitely helped that I had done the the PCT um, because in my mind, a, a long distance backpacking hike and a long distance bikepacking route are basically the same thing. Um, you know, people can probably argue either way, but in my mind, you're using the same gear. You know, there's there's obviously more opportunity for mechanical issues and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I just saw it as almost I was going to be hiking, but just riding a bike. Um, so no, I, I honestly didn't have too much um, anxiety about it. Um, like even the even when we were going back and forth on, you know, I ordered the the flanimal and and sort of saw the delivery date slip. Like you know. I, I wasn't too concerned about it because I, I own a mountain bike. Um, my my buddy offered his gravel bike if it came to that. So, like, one way or another, I was going to ride the divide. Um, obviously, I'd like to do it on a, a gravel bike and the flanimal and, and rodeo. But um, that's just – that's my mind, you know, thought process where I'm not going to lose, like, my, my cool or, you know – it's out of my control, basically. I'll just – control what I can and, and, um, and, and make it happen. But yeah, when I, when I, that idea, just that, that the trip is so much larger than the gear that you're taking with you on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think, uh, I know this is an aside, but I think a lot of people, uh, make the gear almost the primary focus of the trip. Sure. it's, it, you know, when I hear you say this, I'm like, man, that's so backwards. Like it's the trip and the gear, the gear should follow. But I mean, like we like attach our personality to the gear ratio that we've selected and mm-hmm. the brands that we've got to tag and all the photos and blah, 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 blah. But you're just kind of like, yeah, you know, it's a bike and there were two or three other options if it didn't work out and I'm going, <laughs> like, we yeah. could all learn something from that. Uh, it's the going that matters, not the, the gear hoarding. Uh, so note to self, uh, if nothing else, it's really refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I think what I learned on the, the PCT. So I, when I did that hike, I knew I wanted to, to do it kind of quickly and like a hundred days was the goal. Um, so like I, 
I was more selective at that point with the gear I was carrying. And, you know, I chose to go ultralight and carry like a 10 pound pack and leave at home a lot of stuff that maybe people would assume is like necessary for a hike like that, you know, like extra clothes and a stove um, and some other stuff. But for me, it was about the hike and like, what's the gear, the very basic gear that's going to help me achieve that. Um, so yeah, when, when it came time to, to choose gear for the, the divide, I immediately went to that closet and, you know, I already had the sleep kit I had the, the, the tent, the shelter, um, really the only gear I needed to, to sort of get was, um, just some basic, you know, emergency supplies like, uh, you know, a tube, um, some patch kits, uh, a small, uh, blow up or, a uh, pump, um, and then obviously some bike packing bags. But, um, yeah, I pretty much just raided my back backpacking closet and, um, came away with my, my gear list. <laughs> yeah, that, that experience probably translates well. I've, uh, I wouldn't say I'm an avid backpacker, but that has definitely helped ease my transition into mm-hmm. bike packing. And, um, I feel like it, it makes it feel nice when you can have a double use for your gear. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. The, the first trip is always going to be the hardest. I think all those key mm-hmm. decisions are made up front. It's very front heavy. Uh, yeah. but now when I go back out for another trip, I think I'm doing a lot of what you're doing where I'm, I can get that, that bike put together in the garage and the bag strapped on. And I have my three bins that are labeled in the shelf and I'm, I know it's all there and it's not a big mental drain to do a trip like that. But in the beginning it was, it was like a three month mental drain for me when I first went on the first trip of just all that hand wringing. So just in a word of encouragement to all prospective backpackers and bikepackers, it gets better the more you do it and your gear gets dialed and you can do these impulse trips or just be less stressed out in general. And, and all that money you spend up front to buy decent gear does tend to spread out over quite a few number of years if you're getting good years. So it is, it's a big investment I feel like sometimes, but, um, yeah, it's reusable. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's a massive investment. Um, honestly, I mean, even just like, I didn't have to buy all that much. I was just buying some, some bags, you know, to carry it. Um, and even that was, you know, pricey. Um, so no, it definitely gets easier. Um, and the investment, like you were saying, it is key. Um, like a good sleeping bag, a compact tent, um, like those, those go a long way to, to just lightening the load. Cool. So I, I do want to touch on the major, at least rodeo disaster here of the trip was, of course, you somehow ended up, and I'm kind of interested in that. I don't want to make this a rodeo advertorial. This isn't like sponsored content, although it is the rodeo podcast, but like <laughs> you somehow ended up deciding to buy a flannel and take it on that, which is in itself interesting because no one had yet done that either. So it wasn't really proven to be capable on that route, uh, but you did. And then, of course, you watched apparently calmly as the deadline slipped all year long to the point of it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, last minute what happened was, I don't even know. I, I wasn't there, but I know you and Drew talked and the decision was made to just send you our demo 58 centimeter trail donkey. Uh, and 
I can't believe that you would be so calm about that. Um, but you were, which is great. Um, and I remember there was even a moment where I was just thinking about it on my commute. And I was like, the chain ring on that bike is way too big. <laughs> How is he going to do the divide on it? You know, blah, 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 blah. Um, but so, I mean, like maybe tell us about, you somehow picked this bike. How did you pick it? Um, I'm curious, not in terms mm-hmm. of trying to sell more bikes, but just why even ride that one when there are a lot of default bikes for that route. And those are very good bikes. Um, and then, you, you know, you picked what you picked. Uh, sure. And then, and then, and then you just got a big old sort of change of plans right at the last minute. And you went with that too. Totally. Um, yeah. So I guess it was in February when I decided to ride. So that sort of started the the gears of, well, need to buy a bike to, to do this on. So, you know, started at that point researching and, you know, there's, there's a lot of bikes that pop up immediately when you search bikepacking or, you know, specifically the, the Great Divide, Tour Divide, um, you know, the cutthroat being probably number one. If you look on like the, the bikes or the rigs of the Divide over the years. Um, so, you know, went through that that whole process um i've got a good buddy here aaron who uh you know has been a fan of rodeo for a long time so whenever i talked about in the past getting a gravel bike he always was bringing you guys up and so i i knew of the brand and, and was following you guys um and obviously knew of the donkey and the flanimal um but started to pay more attention once i knew i needed a bike um so i you know looking at all the details what size tires can they get um you know, what's the gearing ratios that you guys offer. Um, and ultimately, you know, we're all familiar with the, the, the bike pandemic of, of 2020. And that was a big deciding factor too. Cause like, I just couldn't find a bike, honestly. Um, cutthroats were gone, you know, even the used market, like we have a pretty good used market here in the city and, you know, something gets posted and then it's gone in five minutes, you know, um, and I'm, I'm assuming it's like a house where it's 20% over asking or, or something. Um, so I was on your website and I was getting a little more, I was focusing in a bit further on, on the, the flannel. And, you know, I saw the, the delivery date was, I think at the time, uh, late April, something like that. Um, so I was like, Oh, interesting. I could, you know, buy this bike and, and basically have it for a month or so before starting, um, Whereas like a, you know, salsa that they weren't even having any delivery dates or, um, and then another piece of it was, you know, obviously I wanted a, a specific, um, bike packing bike, you know, something that had, you know, gear mounts on the fork and on, on different places. Um, cause so much gravel bikes are just, just that they're, they're gravel specific and, you know, don't, don't offer a whole lot of uh, modular ability for, for bike packing rigs. So, you know, the spork was obviously a, a big factor. Um, but ultimately I think the big piece was that delivery date. So I pulled the trigger on the, the flannel. Um, and I, I talked to Drew throughout the process asking him about, you know, the builds you guys offer and tires that you put on it and all that. Um, so he, he was aware that I was going to use this bike for the divide. Um, and you guys were great throughout the process, especially as, you know, some of the, the deadlines started to slip. Um, just the communication around around that and um, my conversations with, with Drew 
were were uh, were great around that. But ultimately, I think it was maybe the end of or middle of May, kind of early middle of May. Um, you know, I saw it slip to the middle of June, the delivery. Um, so I just emailed Drew and was like, "Hey, you know, um, any chance like a singular flame, frame is getting delivered early or something?" And um, you know, basically, is there anything, anything that's in there um, that I could ride on the divide? And uh, honestly, he went above and beyond to deliver, um, and and very very kindly offered that that 58 centimeter um donkey to to ride and uh i'm not one to pass up that opportunity um like i said i was i was gonna you know ride it on my my full suspension mountain bike if i had to so um i jumped on the donkey threw my bags on you know went on like a 30 mile just sort of shakedown and put it in a box and flew to montana um that's wild. 30 mile shake <laughs> Which, down. That w- yeah, I did. I, I forgot to mention, I did change the gear rein. Um, so I think it came with an 11 speed. Uh, I think it was a 1046 in the back and a 46 in the front. Um, and I changed the front to a 32 and then, you know, threw on some aero bars, threw on some 2.2 icons, tires. And that was pretty much the extent of like the changes. Cool. Well, and then you're at the start, uh, and you did not do uh, the grand depart, um, sort of, you know, on mm-hmm. the the whole track leaders board and all of that stuff. You were determined to sort of do this at your own pace, your own way. Um, how did? When did you actually begin? So I started on the the fifteenth of June, and actually, I honestly didn't even really know about the grand depart until like two weeks before I started. And then I, I, I learned about it and I was like, oh, that'd be kind of cool to start then, but I already have my, my, you know, tickets booked and all that. So, um, yeah, it started on the, I think it was four days after sort of all the racers took off and, um, which was kind of nice. Cause you know, I'm a competitive person and, you know, if people are, are going fast around me, I'll probably try to like just stick with it and, and hold some people. But, um, yeah, it was nice to start without that that feeling so um you know montana is such a great state um and and even though i started after sort of that that group of people um there was still a a good amount of folks out there and um you know caught some folks day one day two um and just super cool to to have that that community out there who is very different from the bike pack or the the backpacking community but um, still holds a lot of similarities and um, yeah just sort of cruised through Montana um, pretty good good gravel all things considered um, I'd, I'd be remiss not to ask maybe on Steven's behalf that that riding through Montana also means riding through bear country um, correct did, does that deter you at all you know I don't know if, was there actually an incident this yeah, year there was a super tragic incident near Helena um, yep. which happened I don't know, one or two weeks ago, um, which I think was a whole other level of, yeah, tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that had even ever happened before. Um, but I, I had heard through the Reeb, uh, Instagram page of someone having been 
chased by a very aggressive bear and having to mace it and things like that. I personally mm-hmm. have a wild animal phobia. There it is. Um, That's fair. And I like when I raced through Morocco, it wasn't an issue because there's nothing alive there, uh, you know, in the desert, you know, you might see, you know, real wild camels and donkeys and some sheep, but you know, I'm much more, uh, just, I guess on edge about, you know, mm. we have some pretty wild lands, especially up in Montana, Wyoming, Absolutely. But, uh, do you just put that in a box and say, eh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how do you handle, sort of, I guess, the the wildness of it all. I think some people seem to be wired wired for it. Others you know, I mean, it's definitely in the back of your mind, especially as like a solo rider. Because um, I, had, I had heard that same story. I think it was Red's Meadow Pass, I want to say. Somebody had, had been chased down, you know, a couple weeks before the Grand Depart. Um, and yeah, I think as a solo rider, like you need to take responsibility and like be aware especially when you're in grizzly country because that's a a pretty big deal um and i was i was carrying bear spray you know i wasn't headphones in listening to music like i was i was pretty much throughout the state um keeping my wits about me you know especially because there's some some decent single track in in montana where it's pretty tight and it's you know there's forest on either side and visibility is really bad um, and there's, there's sign of bear like everywhere out there, you know, there's scat everywhere. Um, sometimes you can see footprints in the, in the dirt. Um, so just being wise about how you're, you know, packing your food, how you're, uh, camping, that sort of thing. And I, it, it helps that I've had experience, you know, back backpacking in, in bear country and, um, the lessons there of just how to smell proof some of your food and, you know, you probably shouldn't cook inside your tent. Uh, just those lessons are, are, are really good, but definitely kept it in mind. And, um, thankfully I, I, I didn't see any bears at all the whole trail. Um, so no, no scares there. Did you see, how is the wildlife out there? Uh, it's, it's everywhere, honestly. Um, you know, it's deer everywhere. I saw some moose down coming into the Tetons. Um, had a, a skunk scare there for a minute, riding into uh, a town <laughs> in Montana. It, um, yeah, it's just it's it's constant. You know, um, you're. I mean, you're out there. It's it's wilderness. Um, so you gotta gotta watch out for it. So was this trip? Uh I mean, for yourself, is it a photo assignment? Are you sort of really trying to capture images of it? Or is this just, an not just, but is it an experience assignment where you're really just trying to experience it uh, and then sort of, yeah, you'll mm-hmm. sort of take some photos along the way? Or did you go in it with, you know, I don't know, a really capable camera? Or are you sort of iPhoning a whole bunch? Because um, you're a photographer and I am not a professional photographer, but I really love taking photos on bicycles. And Mm -hmm. I found that I can be so compelled to take pictures that it starts to conflict with the actual act of riding the bicycle or making any forward progress at all. (laughs) So I don't know. How is that for you? Someone who's, who really lives and breathes it. Yeah. I, with these lawn types of trips, I try not to go in with too many expectations of like, oh, I'm going to get this photo or, you know, I want to document it in this way. 
and I really try to let the chips fall as they may um, and, and try to just be in the moment and reactive. Um, so, yeah, for me, like I, I, it's hard to go on a trip without like a decent camera, you know, because the iPhone's great and I use it a lot. But then when I take just an iPhone on trips, I always come away like, oh, I kind of wish this was a little bit better of quality or, you know, I had a bit more control. So I quickly learned that it's hard to carry a DSLR on a, a bike pack rig. There's just no good place to, to really carry it unless you have like, you know, a backpack on or, or, or a really structured front sort of um, rack. So I sort of pivoted and carried something that I don't have too much experience with, which is a, a, con- a compact, you know, single focal length um, Leica Q which just has a 28 millimeter lens. Um, and then you can do some, some digital crops on that, like a a 35 or a 50, but, um, it's a set, a set 28, um, which I I actually grew to like because it, it sort of removed that, um, that option of like changing the lens, you know, and like changing the perspective that you're seeing. Um, and it, it really gave you just a, a singular perspective throughout the trip, which was kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I like I said in the beginning, have, this being my first bike packing trip properly, um, it was just a, a lot of fun to experience it in that that new perspective um, and let let things develop on themselves. And the divide is if there's one way to describe divide, it's, it's that it, it's never the same, you know, any sequential day, like the weather is just constantly changing. The, the terrain is constantly changing. The, the gravel is great on one side of the climb. And then the descent is just a riverbed of, you know, loose boulder and, you know, terrible gravel. Um, so it's just a constant change and, and you're never in a, a, a landscape for very long. So I, I really enjoyed that, you know, where, it was just a, a, a completely new picture kind of uh, every mile. Um, but I used the, so just to recap, I used the, the digital uh, a fair amount and then, you know, found myself using the iPhone a lot as well, just cause it was pretty, I could use it while I was moving and, you know, a little more um, accessible in that sense. But yeah. Are you um, building a, a, album for yourself that you sort of look back on or is this mm-hmm. something where you take images from this and you know use them to influence future work that you're sort of i don't know going after or trying to move into or mm-hmm. is, is this purely a personal trip uh, do you do you are you going to or do you write about the experience um I, yeah um i do so I, I enjoy writing and actually a lot of the work i i really enjoy doing is like editorial stories especially stuff that I can photograph and write about, you know, kind of tell both stories visually and, and on the paper. Um, so I don't know that I'll publish anything for this as far as, as written, you know, I tend to, especially after the trip, um, just jot down thoughts and, and sort of jolt, uh, more put down on paper what, what I experienced. Um, the photos though, yeah, are purely, pretty much for myself. Um, so I'll put them on the website, you know, I'll, I'll have a page for this trip, 
you know, cause I've sort of documented all of these longer trips that I've gone on. Um, but yeah, I try not to, for these, these long trips, try not to tie in too much work into them just cause I've found that that sort of muddies the water, um, for myself. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll publish it, you know, and share, but, uh, usually the written pieces, I, I hold those a little closer. I find it, uh, interesting. And, and maybe this is kind of more of a mini, mini, uh, anecdote, maybe for the, the listeners that the, the parallels in kind of the camera that you brought, you know, a, I feel like a lot of times people buy like a really expensive bike or they buy a really expensive camera and then they, they kind of want to, they want to like, you know, put it on a wall and, and it's like single use particular thing and you don't, and I feel like for me with (laughs) my camera, um, I've thrashed that thing over three years because it's a tool. It's like Mm -hmm. a, it's a, it's a means to an end. And, uh, and so I, like, I feel like it's a good reminder of like, sometimes, yeah, it's, there is really expensive gear out there, but like if you're using it, you know, to its fullest, um, Mm -hmm. I think that's okay. Uh, you know, and, but then, you know, so that was kind of like maybe for listeners out there, like, you know, bring that really nice camera on a ride. It's a tool. Like, don't worry about like, you know, if you get rained on, you get rained on. Like cameras are really good these days being weather sealed and whatnot. And then I think the interesting thing and one that I've, I guess maybe personally, there's like a tug of war, war internally. So hearing what you talked about, um, with the Leica where it's just, it's 28 millimeter, that's, you get one perspective and it's actually almost creating, you know, a really interesting narrative through the whole trip. Mm -hmm. Um, I find interesting because it's kind of similar to just riding the bike um, mm-hmm. where all you like you just have you know you're going from point A to point B there's a singular singular destination um, whereas like I also feel like when I'm using my camera like it's not a single perspective and I, I really like like a tight you know crop and you know I want to have that the telephoto but it's like a good reminder of like, don't overanalyze your gear, mm-hmm. you know, totally. just having that single fixed perspective can often create a more creative situation. Cause you have to work with what you've got out there. No, absolutely. And yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm right there with you where it's like, Oh, it's uh, a Leica. How's it? <laughs> Am I just going to absolutely thrash this thing on a bike packing, uh, you know, across the country, but it held up really well. I was actually pleasantly surprised. Um, just, I, so I slipped it in, I carried it in the, uh, the frame bag just right between my legs so I could zip it out, zip it in. Um, and yeah, it, it performed beautifully. Um, there was one scare coming into the Tetons. I, I went to take a photo and like everything was blurry, like autofocus was working. It was locking on, but then like through the viewfinder, everything was just blurry. And I was like, Oh damn it. I broke this. Like I'm going to send it in, you know, I'm going to have to have somebody at home, send me my, my big DSLR and figure out how to carry that. Um, so I just put it back in the bag and, and, uh, you know, tried to figure it out at camp, but Later on, I, I pulled it out, and it turns out I had just sort of moved the um, the viewfinder. You know, it has the adjustment for your know, different eyes, and, and mm-hmm. so 
switched it right back and I was like, Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> and, uh, you know, never had that issue again, but, um, yeah, the best, I mean, the best camera you have is, is the one with you, right? So if that's your iPhone, it's your iPhone. Um, but if you have the capacity and you, and you, you know, really want to be a bit more conscientious or like just, you know, mindful about documenting a trip, like, yeah, bring your camera. Um, it may get rained on, but it may, you know, get a bit dusty, but like, what are you going to think about in, in 20 years, like the dusty camera or, you know, the photos you're able to capture. Definitely the photos. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yesterday I did a ride that was traumatic. Um, it looked like fun. We, we, we felt like we might, I mean, I really, I really thought I might die um, because it was lightning above tree line. Um, and then as soon as we got beneath trail line, we were all sort of, or tree line, we were drunk with uh, mm-hmm. our success. I was like, this is amazing. Like this just goes in my memories for when I'm an old man. And, you know, Absolutely. Like, I'm just collecting memories for my rocking chair. Um, I always go back to that idea of, yeah, same thing with pictures, like especially with the quality that comes out of really almost any camera these days. They they almost don't feel like old photos when you mm-hmm. look at old photos anymore. They just they're so well captured. Um, they just look like a moment in time that could have been yesterday or a week ago, but it could be 30 years or 40 years ago at some point. And I can't wait to have that um and i mean i've destroyed a lot of cameras uh and kind of sorry not sorry <laughs> <laughs> there it's worth it <laughs> oh absolutely yeah um, i mean yeah. i remember um my grandmother passed away a couple of years ago and i because i'm the resident family or you know photo guy in the family i put together her immemorial photo um album and, you know, had everybody sending in all these old photos and I was scanning, you know, 35 millimeter and 120s and tin, pin types. And um, I just remember at her memorial service, I was holding uh, one of my nephews and looking at a photo of my great, great, great grandfather, who honestly, like looked exactly like my nephew. You know, he was a young boy, it's a spitting image, you know, very, very similar. And just thinking like, the person who took that photo had no idea, you know, that three generations, four generations down the road, somebody's going to be viewing this and like making that connection. And, and for me as a photographer, like I just com- immediately connected with that idea that like the photos I make today are going to be viewed, you know, generations from now. And like, what, what do I want them to see? Um, how do I want them to, recognize like today this world like my friends my family um the stuff that i'm doing you know how 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 can i shape that and tell the story um for that that generational sort of outlook yeah that's that's some long-term perspective but also really interesting insight your your ride is becoming more and more profound yeah So, uh, I mean, you know, you're out there for many weeks. Um, I don't know what stands out, uh, highs and lows. I know, for instance, one uh, low point for me was when uh, your battery was dying because you had DI2. And um, we were trying to figure out what are we even going to do? 
Mm-hmm. And part of me thought, how did this even happen? Like, we all know a, D- a DI2 bike can't go that entire route without a recharge, but we didn't really send you with a charger. Uh, mm-hmm. so I think it all worked out uh, through, through various sort yep. of bike shops and, and whatnot. But uh, that stood out to me as sort of a, whew, man, I don't know, near miss. Uh, but was it just kind of like, I don't know, part of me just thinks you just kind of rode blissfully for a few weeks. And I didn't really mm-hmm. get a lot of angst uh, out of anything that came out of you. It was all very sort of calm and yeah. I'm still going, uh, making <laughs> pro- And then, you know, I think I'm going to finish in two days. And I just thought, wow, it, he just did the thing. He just came out of nowhere and did the thing. Was it like that or was it much more highs and lows and, you know? No, it was, it, it pretty much was like that. Um, yeah, like I said, I'm a pretty even keeled guy. Um, so yeah, when I got the bike, obviously it had D2i or DI2, um, which by the way is fantastic, like unreal, just crisp, fast, you know, very, very nice. Um, but yeah, so I roll into to Whitefish like the day before starting, and I think it drops to three out of five bars, you know, so 60-ish percent of battery. So I was like, all right, well, you know, we'll need to charge somewhere in Colorado probably. Um, it drops to two bars going through Lima, Montana, which I think was 500, 400 miles in, something like that. So, you know, the first 20% lasted 500 miles. And then it drops to one bar going into the Tetons, which from Lima was only like 200 miles. So like that, that second 20% only lasted, you know, that long. Um, so I emailed Drew and I was like, you know, do you guys have a charger? Um, what should I do sort of thing? Um, and he emails back, uh, we don't have a charger, but you know, there's, there's a charger in Steamboat Springs at a a bike shop there. So I kind of look at the map, um, you know, by this time I've, I've ridden to, uh, Pinedale, Wyoming from the Tetons, look at the map and like steamboats, I think three ish hundred, three fifty maybe from there, maybe 400. Um, so I was like, all right, we'll see if we can, you know, make this happen. Um, and I stop at the, the bike shop in Pinedale and, uh, just to check in, see if they had a, a charger. They didn't, but he the 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 mechanic was like interesting enough the only other you know tour rider that we've seen riding a, a d2i or di2 um i always confuse them um came through yesterday and he he was heading south so he didn't know his name and and really didn't have any other descriptive uh for me to look for but i just knew that there was a rider like ahead of me that had a you know a, a, the same system I had. I didn't know even know if he had a charger with him. Um, so I just set off and, uh, I just started to, uh, ration my, my shifting, which looking wow. back is kind of funny. You know, it's just, it is what it is. Um, uh, so I was really only shifting from like three to seven, basically on the 11 speed, which was for someone who like, you know, likes to ride pretty aggressively and like I won't say like fast but consistently um it was kind of tough because like you really can't take advantage of the downhills you're just sort of reaching the top and then like ah very very slowly coasting over the hump um but I'm rationing my my shifting through the basin um 
into Colorado, which really was, it wasn't that bad, but um, what kind of sucked at that point was that that 200-mile stretch from, like, you know, basically south of Pinedale to Steamboat Springs is really just rolling hills. It's not It's not mountainous. It's just these very sort of fast up and downs that just repeat themselves for 100 miles. You know, you'll drop 300 feet in a mile and then you climb 300 feet in a mile. So it's just this constant, like real short sort of humps. Um, so like I couldn't really take advantage of the downhills. And then on the uphills, I couldn't really shift into like the real granny gear because I obviously what didn't I didn't want to be in the position of of losing complete battery and then being in like my my smallest gear and just you know um but honestly mentally i was i was ready to to single speed it to you know steamboat like again i'm of the mindset that like i'm out here i'm riding a bike like i'm not i'm not gonna stop because like a battery uh you know dies i'm just gonna i'll just figure it out and, and single speed for a couple hundred miles um but it all worked out in the end. I, I caught the guy with the other D2I system and um, caught him at the Bush Mountain Lodge, which is an incredible spot. Um, Kirsten there runs a, a really fun operation. And, uh, yeah, so I roll up. There's two guys sitting under the shade. You know, I, I greet them, get a, a glass of water. We're talking about bikes. And I was like, Oh, by the way, do I do either of you guys have a, a DI2 bike system? And he's like, oh, yeah, I do. Um, I was like, second question, do you have your charger? And uh, he did, and I immediately started charging. And, yeah, it lasted the, the rest of the trip. But, I don't know, looking wow. back on it now, it's just kind of a fun, you know, story in the middle there where, you know, I, I was ready to, to single speed if, if necessary, but... Um, ultimately it, it worked itself out as these things often do so you had one charge in the middle and that got you there i did yeah so i ended it with uh i think three out of the five so you know 60 ish 50 percent yeah. and you just so people know that bike has a xtr battery indicator from the mountain bike side of the group set mm-hmm. uh, on the handlebar which we do for the demo bike so that even we're more cognizant of the charge because it's definitely a thing where you can just be so blissfully unaware and you know you really only need to recharge every two or three months on on that system Mm -hmm. uh and then i have personally abused that and ridden myself into no battery probably three or four times so just putting it there full view might be a little bit stressful but at least you know what you got left in the tank with the, with that little indicator yeah. so I'm kind of nifty no i was things. i was honestly surprised at how many folks out there were were riding you know electronic shifting um there was one night specifically i think it was in hartsell colorado there was like seven riders and five of us had electronic shifting um the most of them obviously had like the the shram uh, whatever it is xxo or zero zero one um but yeah, a lot of folks were, were riding electronic this year. So when, um, I mean, it sounds like it was going smoothly. As you started to get into the latter part of this experience, uh, 
do you start do, are you looking forward to the finish or are you seeing it coming and are you mm-hmm. just satisfied or are you dreading it um it seems like that varies for different people that go on and have experiences like this yeah um i think it helps that i've i've gone through the ending before you know in different trips and i sort of know what's on the other side um because there is obviously that mixed emotion of of you you love I mean, if you do these things consistently, like I do, like you have to love the journey. You have to love that, that struggle, the sweat, the, the discomfort, you know? Um, but then I'm also a guy who loves like a good book and a cup of coffee, you know? So it's like, I, I, at some point do just want to, to sit down and like enjoy that on a Sunday afternoon. Um, but no, I, I try not to look at these these trips as like this never ending fairy tale. Like I'm pretty realistic that it is what it is and it's gonna come to an end and there's gonna be another one down the road. Um so I try to just maximize the time, you know. So as I'm looking at the remaining whatever it is, two hundred, three hundred miles, um I just yeah, soak it up. Um, let it be what it is and know that it's going to be a great memory either way um yeah yeah i think what's interesting about your experience compared to jay's is um yours is the one that more of us would hope to have uh, Mm. because we're not superhuman uh Mm -hmm. we're not going to go race and win this thing in i don't know what was it 15 days or 14 days i don't know the number insane um we we just want to know if we can do it at all yeah uh and then also, could it be a good experience and can we enjoy it? It sounds like you did, which is it's just really fun to hear. Um, and mm. I don't know, it seems it's just kind of balanced and even keel and positive. Um, not a lot of these dramatic ups and downs. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's kind of cathartic just to hear, yes, I wrote it and it was good. <laughs> yeah, I think paired maybe with like it sounds like maybe from from Jay's perspective like the reentry is kind of you don't have that moment to savor it so the reentry when mm. you're done kind of slaps you a little bit harder in the face whereas like if you're consciously like I know this experience is going to end but I am also consciously savoring every moment of it when it's over it maybe is less of a slap in the face that you just are done and like boom full stop you got to go back to society and your phone is blowing up once again and mm-hmm. yeah. was it for you i mean it ended right you're there i don't even know how everyone gets home um <laughs> jeffrey sharp like, that's like <laughs> uh, okay. he's the man yeah okay so there's someone that you call at the end and ask mm-hmm. for help and help arrives yeah um, yeah um because i mean especially this year you know antelope wells like in new mexico that that border crossing there's just nothing going on down there it's closed you know there's nobody crossing the border um and it's obviously hot as hades down there so you're just i got there solo um the only literally the only sliver of of shade was coming off like the the sign that everybody takes their photo in front of um so I just sort of sat in that sliver of shade for about an hour uh, while I waited on Jeffrey. Um, but no, the the ending, like I said, I think I've gotten good at the endings um, because this this wasn't my first sort of long journey. Um, but it never it never's. I, I won't say it gets easier, but it it does. 
it does help to know sort of some of the emotions that will come up um, and the thought processes that you know you'll you'll go through. Um, but yeah, this one, it you know again, it had its 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 differences from the trail. Um, it didn't. I I didn't quite on, on trail. You're always thinking about the end. It's always sort of that that uh, long-awaited moment. You know, you kind of imagine what it would look like to to reach Canada. You know, and the 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 clear cut in the woods. Um, and I, on this trail, I, I never really imagined the ending like I did on the on the mm-hmm. PCT. And I think that was a big difference. Where again, I just sort of let each day be its own thing and um, didn't try to to force a, a moment to happen, you know, um, I just let it, let it unfold. There's some sort of words to live by in there somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look too deep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm compelled to, I can't not. Yeah. I mean, these, these are learning experiences. They just are. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, of course we all process them in different ways, but, uh, and we want to hear how it goes for other people and compare and contrast, not in an unhealthy way, but, mm-hmm. you know, it helps us build that sense of, you know, what is it that we do and other people do. And yeah, so I don't know. I, I'm appreciative that, you know, that you're willing to share the story with us. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to like dig into like, you know, the forcing of the moment, but I think that's an interestingly put sentence. Uh, just cause I know Steven, when we did our Denver to Brackenridge to Denver, I don't know if I was necessarily like forcing a moment, but just like sometimes when you're doing these rides that are so much larger, there is like a mm-hmm. lot of emotion to process. And like, you know, thinking on it, it was like, if I ever put my attention on, it, I was like, wow, I'm having a moment. It was immediately gone. And so it's like hearing, like comparing and contrasting other people's experiences is was that a forcing of a moment or like, you know, why, when I would think about it, would it go away? But in the subconscious it's in there, it's back, like it's processing something. So Mm. I don't know. I think that's interesting. I'm starting to have my, my unifying theory of bikepacking is, uh, not to compare too much because I did that a lot after I did the Morocco experience, because I was trying to understand why, this certain percentage of people were able to get through that experience almost um, clinically. Mm. Uh, they just executed and they're amazing at it and they're quick, fast, disciplined, unemotional, or it seems to me. Uh, and, and then for me, I, I honestly felt like I was, you know, not bipolar. I was like quadpolar. I was just up and down and up and down. I was kind of beating myself up about, why can't I just be more uh, disciplined about what I'm doing? Why is it so mountaintop and then like mm-hmm. almost depression and, you know, at the 3 a.m. thing? And, uh, and, and I'm just letting myself have it at this point and just saying, I'm just who I am. Uh, I, 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 I can't compete with those people. I don't need to beat myself up. I don't have their psychology. We're all just different humans mm. having sometimes a similar experience if, it, if you know, if someone says go and 200 people leave at the same time, some of that experience is shared, but we're really having massively different experiences over the same terrain. Yeah. Um, and it's, that's completely fine to do. Um, and there's no, 
there's no worrying about why am I not faster? Why am I more, you know, why do I make so many mistakes? Just, just enjoy the fact that you're out there at all. Mm. Uh, you know, learning about yourself and, and getting some time to think about life, um, to take back with you into real life, all the things that you experience out there. And that is absolutely the most valuable part of the whole thing for me is I get to take it back into real life and, you know, just some of the grit that comes away with it is useful, but just, you know, the thinking about who do I want to be when I get back, that's really useful. So Mm. yeah, these, these trips are, I guess sometimes they're a little self-indulgent, but some of what you indulge in makes you a better person. So it's not, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. And that's what I try to tell people who are interested in doing a through hike or, you know, a trip like this where it's like, you can't go into it with an expectation of, my experience is going to be this person, you know, like this person. Um, and I think it, it's so easy in like our culture, especially of Instagram and like these people who make a through hike look really, really fun or a, a bike packing trip look really fun, which it is, but that you don't see the night that it rained all, you know, night and like all the gears wet. Um, you don't see that struggle and you don't see the, the highs, the lows, like you're describing. Um, and I think that's where people get in trouble. It's it's just, you know, they go into it with a certain expectation and they don't necessarily, I, I'm big about understanding your personal why for a trip and like having that be pretty, you know, central to going into something like this. Because I think if you're out there and you're struggling and like you do have a bad day where it, it rains all afternoon and like, you know, the mud is is building up on the wheels and it's just kind of a bad time if you don't have that why and you don't understand why you want to be out here and you get to be out here, um, because we all get to be out there. It's not, you know, we have to, um, you're just going to fall apart and like, you're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to see any value in it. Um, but if you can understand the reason behind it and like see, you know, that sunshine's going to come and it's going to stop raining. Um, you'll, you'll get to where you need to go. Um, and that's just kind of how I approach all of these, these trips, um, going into it. Yeah. Just really understanding why I'm out there and that ultimately I get to be out there. It's a, it's a privilege. So at the end of this, uh, do you just get to sit back and enjoy the accomplishment of I did it and, really without the compulsion to think about well, what's next or, or are you sort of excited by it and you start to, you know, scheme about the future and what else you want to, you know, do you feel like you need to go bigger or is it just, no, I'm good for now. Mm-hmm. Inspirational hit when it hits. Yeah. I try to leave that door open. Um, I kind of have a Rolodex of ideas constantly, you know, things I'd like to do. Um, but as I look back on some of these longer projects that I've done, like there's a theme that I don't often repeat myself and I don't know what that is. I've, I'm trying to explore it, but, um, yeah, I, I don't have anything on the horizon. Um, I think often I've, I've seen in life that like it is sort of those happenstance ideas or thoughts, you know, things that, that present themselves within a new hobby or, um, you know, especially this bike packing, like it, it came about because I picked up biking and like, I didn't foresee that two years ago. Um, so no, I don't have anything on the horizon. I don't 
feel the need to go bigger, you know? Um, but we'll see what happens. Well, I, I predict I'm calling it <laughs> solo paddling expedition across the Atlantic. Two years out. That's what you're doing. No, I mean, <laughs> I did comment to a friend that I needed to like paddle the Mississippi or something just to get the yeah. bike, the, the float, the, the walking, you know, Packrafting seems really fun too. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. I haven't touched it yet, but seeing more and more people do it just seems like, yeah, why don't we just get in the water right here, pop out a little later? Uh, that's, I don't know. That, that, that's an interesting someday, Nick, brace yourself to go raft shopping. <sighs> do it. I know. I mean, I, I feel like you've got maybe the animal phobia. I think like rapid water <laughs> kind of scares me. Yeah. 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 I've had a bad experience doing that. <laughs> uh, well, in the meantime, um, I don't know if your flannel's done, but we did get a whole bunch of them and I'm assuming yours is in there. Uh, what was super interesting to me was, um, that is, the, I guess the more bike packy bike just by the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, I think, talked to Drew in, after the trip and just said, hey, do you just want to sell me this this donkey? So uh, without going into the nitty gritty of everything it did and didn't do well, you apparently were happy enough with that, mm. uh, that you were interested in just adopting it. Uh, and then he asked me about it and I said, uh, no, we can't even get more of those. Like we can't sell our demo bike. Yeah. Um, but the more I thought about it, I actually thought, that is the wrong response. Uh, you are the only person who's ever done the divide on the donkey. And to me, that's really important. And you were sort of the first and you kind of did us the honor of doing that. So as I rode home one night, I texted Drew and said, we're going to give Sam that donkey on the podcast. Uh, wow. and just that's, you know, like a rider finds their horse and you can't separate the two of them. Uh, wow. so it's kind of, I don't know kind of a parting thought i guess was just that bike's yours now uh and if you wow. want your flannel you can you can have that too but if you know you don't need two bikes probably so yeah. we were just going to refund your flannel uh let you keep the donkey uh i'm sure the flannel oh can find another yeah. home and uh yeah just that's i think with gratitude from us that you you know gave that bike a story and kind of gave rodeo a bigger story than, you know, any of us would have pulled off on our own. So, mm. so enjoy yeah, that, that bike. That's incredible. Um, yeah, thank you so much. I, I honestly have been blown away through this whole experience. Cause like you guys, I've talked, I was sharing the story on trail, you know, Oh, this isn't my bike. Like it's a demo. They gave it to me. Um, and like, who does that? Honestly, uh, what bike company like will, will send out a demo for a, a 2500 mile you know backcountry <laughs> just destroy it um but no you guys i think what led me to rodeo was the story of of your bikes but also the company um and the voice of the brand uh so yeah i'm blown away well thank you i think to me it comes down to uh that like uh, the trust that we get from all the people who end up buying our bikes mm. especially because you've never i don't know have you even ever seen one uh and most people haven't and and then they're saying i'm gonna go i'm gonna go do this thing on it or you know out of all of the infinitely good options and i really truly believe they're pretty much all good options uh mm-hmm. somehow people choose us and then you know we get into this fiasco situation we've been in this year where we're just letting people down in layers in terms of things being delayed. Uh, but 
I found that our customers tend to be almost without fault, really amazing, exceptional people. Mm. Uh, and it, it it's just the, like we're humans here on this end of it and you're a human mm-hmm. on that end of it. And we can behave like humans on both sides of it, even though, right, it's a company and there's a transaction and all the other things that kind of put fuel in the tank. But yeah. um, it, it's fun to be able to stay that way about it and just say, these, these are very human moments and things that are happening and that needs to be a part of who we are. So I don't, for me, it's, for me, it's fun. It's the best part of it. Uh, and I think everyone else probably agrees with that as well around here at the lab. So, hmm. um, but yeah, I mean like that's really the most adventured donkey in existence at this point. Uh, and many people have ridden your bike, <laughs> <laughs> um, but now it's, you know, where will it go next? I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe you are going to take up uh, kayaking and it won't get ridden that much, but it's yours. Hmm. So, um, yeah, it's it's fun. It's just another chapter, uh, and we get surprised by you know the stories that come in uh, time and time again. And in the beginning, it was really a very small number of people creating all the rodeo stories, um, and and it's become so much so much wider than that now. Like mm. we have Evan writing, you know, and and Bo writing from you know Venice to Armenia. Uh, and they're writing another part of the story. And anytime we get people who are really highly vested in the story side of it, it just seems like, oh man, that's fam. Like those are, that's my favorite. So anyway, Hmm. long winded, but, um, there it is. Uh, the only, the only person to have donkeyed the divide. Um, well, yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Yeah. That was a, it's a great honor. And, um, yeah, when I learned that I was the first, (laughs) that was kind of wild. Um, I'm I'm sure I won't be the last and I, I love that. Um, there's a lot, a lot more stories to be written on there, but I'll, I'll do my best to, uh, keep the donkey rolling. My only ask is that when you choose to gather photos from the trip and put them somewhere, I just really want to see them so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I just love pictures of bike rides. Uh, I'll definitely, I'll share a link. (laughs) Cool. All right. Um, parting thoughts. I mean, I think we've, we've told the story. Yeah, no, that was, uh, I think we had a, a range of topics. Mm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation and just kind of getting to know you a little bit better, Sam. So I'm super appreciative of you taking the time to expose on not only your tour divide experience, but, you know, comparing and contrasting, you know, hiking the PCT and then, you know, some geekery on, on cameras and then even kind of philosophies of, what does an experience like this even mean? So I'm just super appreciative. Thank you. Yeah. And I have just a little bit of hope that like, I'm not signing up. I don't, but like, I do believe that it's possible at this point. Ooh, are you tour divide curious? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. But in (laughs) a way I, I, this is a retelling that, that gave me like a sense of this is something you can do instead of you have to be just this insane superhuman Mm -hmm. uh, to make it so um hopefully other people out there kind of cut that vibe from this and you know if you're thinking about doing it it's doable you you know obviously a big 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 thing but it's doable so yeah no i always say like if you're if you're asking the question can i do it you're you're in the right place like you're you're probably more capable already than you know what you give yourself credit for and all it takes is you know, a little bit of gear and you're off to the races. Um, so I'm all about, I'm all about pushing people to, uh, to just run for it. Well, you heard it here first. If you're, if you're thinking about it. No, (laughs) (laughs) No. 
I also know myself. I'm not doing it right. I, it's not on my list, but uh, I, was I really like talking liked. to the listeners. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want you putting me on the spot. <laughs> how about you, though, Nick? We'll uh, see how AMR goes first. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, Sam, thanks for thanks for bringing us along. We, yeah, I'm, I just look forward to following along vicariously. We have to shout out Aaron for, uh, just, I don't know. He's he's a he's an incredible cheerleader and, and a friend. I've met him. Uh, just a rad dude, and obviously he helped make some of that connection. That they got everything. Literally some of the audio connections because he set you up for the podcast today. That's right. But yeah. also uh, the other ones that got us where we are today. So thanks, Aaron. Um, and yeah, I think yeah. that's about yeah. Thank you guys. It. Cool. And All then right. we'll we'll shout out uh, Q for our intro outro. It's timeless as ever. Yeah. Uh, I just realized that uh, it's similar to uh, the first episode of uh, WandaVision, so that was a nice connection <laughs> to make. But Q did it first, I'm going to say that. Yeah. So, And thanks to Michael, who who fixes our audio levels and makes us sound better than we deserve. Yeah. So. So. All right, until the next one, uh, thanks for listening. Cheers. See you.